May the Lord be with you. For the last uh, three months, uh, from the time leading up to Easter and then after Easter, uh, we spent some time looking inward, uh, reflecting on our own lives, uh, reflecting on uh, the idols in our lives, and asking what we need to repent from in order to uh, follow Jesus more fully with our whole hearts. And we spent a significant time talking about the work that God does in us to make us like Jesus as we commit to the practice of spiritual disciplines, practices like prayer and reading scripture, practices like silence and fasting and hospitality. These are practices that the Spirit uses to make us like Christ. And over the last couple of weeks, uh, as, I, as I finished that, uh, that sermon series on becoming like Christ, and I was away on vacation, and then Isaac preached last week, I was thinking through about what to preach next, and I, I was really having a difficult time coming up with something. And Usually I know actually months ahead of time uh, what I'm going to be pre- uh, preaching on, and I was really struggling with what to preach on over the course of the next few weeks. And then Isaac preached a sermon last week on Luke chapter 10. And there were some things in this text that I had never noticed before, uh, things that that he said that uh, that stirred in me, and also things that he didn't say uh, that I think more could be said. And so we're going to spend uh, three or four weeks uh, diving in deeper into Luke chapter 10 that speaks about our missionary calling. As we spent time looking inward, reflecting on our individual lives, Isaac has now started us to think about our outward calling that we have to tell others about this man named Jesus who we love and follow. Luke 10 is a story that comes in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's, it comes at a time in his, in his ministry when the number of people that are following him uh, is growing, uh, is maybe even at its peak. Uh, we know as Jesus' ministry went on and as he went closer and closer to uh, the crucifixion, uh, that people began to abandon him uh, as he was not giving them what they hoped for. But this is really uh, at a time in his ministry when there are many people uh, following him. And Luke 10 is a story that comes at this point. And we see in this story that Jesus sends out uh, a great number of people, 72 people, to go and to be about his mission. This number goes beyond simply the 12 disciples that were following him. And uh, that this greater number points to this missionary calling that we have as God's people. Luke uses this greater number of people to point to the fact that all of those who follow Jesus, not just a special few, but all of those who follow Jesus are called to be missionaries in some way. Not missionaries that always go to some other faraway place, but people who understand themselves to be called by God into the world, to be a people of the Great Commission, to be a people who know that they have been sent into the world to join with God in his mission to reclaim the world for himself. This text is for all of us who bear the name of Jesus. It has application for us in our lives as we seek to be faithful to this calling. So as we spent time over the last few months looking inward at our lives and this calling to be faithful, how we are called to walk nearer to God, uh, we're now going to look for a while at this outward calling that we have as a people sent by God into the world to join with God in his mission to reclaim the world for himself. And today we're going to be specifically looking at the message that we have as missionaries. What is our message according to Luke chapter 10. When Jesus sends out the 72, he sends them with a very specific message. 
First, he tells them to go with the message of peace. And second, he tells them to go with the message that the kingdom of God is near. A message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near. This is what they are to proclaim when they go into these towns and villages. I think it's important for us to remember that all messages are delivered both with words and also with action. If I say to my wife that I love her, and then accompany those words with actions that express that love, she's likely to believe me. If I say that I love her, and then do not accompany those words with actions of love, she's likely not going to believe me. A message is always communicated with words and with actions. And the more that those two things coincide, the more that those two things come together, the more that our words match up with our actions, the more that the message is going to be believed by those who are listening to us. And so as we're going to see today, this message, this message of peace and this message that the kingdom of God is near must be spoken as well as enacted. So let's look first at this message of peace. In verses 5 and 6, this is what Jesus says. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Isn't this an interesting way to talk about peace? Jesus speaks about peace as if it's something very tangible, something that can be seen, something that can uh, very obviously be given and received and even taken back in some way. Peace as something tangible. This made me pause this week as I thought about this. It seems a strange way to talk about peace. I don't usually think about peace in such a a tangible, concrete way. Uh, What is this about? This has caused me to to think some this week. I want to say first that I don't think I fully understand what Jesus means when he says that we go with this message of peace, and this peace is this real tangible and concrete thing. But as I've reflected on it, the conclusions that I've come to has led me to be very empowered with the calling and privilege that we have to extend this peace to others. This empowered me as I've come to some conclusions this week, so let me share those with you. If you remember, a few months ago, we walked through a sermon series on the priesthood of all believers. In that sermon series, we were reminded that all believers, those who have received Christ and have been given his spirit, have been called to be priests in the world. This means a couple of things. Uh, First, and most importantly, it means that each of us have access to God. Because of Christ, each of us are able to come into the presence of God to experience his blessings, to experience his friendship, to experience the peace that he gives to us firsthand. As priests, we are able to enter into the presence of God. We have access to God. But what we also talked about in that sermon series is that a priest has the privilege of being a people who extend the blessings of God to other people. The priests in Israel prayed for the people. They taught the people about who God was, and they were given a unique responsibility. They were anointed by God with the ability to extend the blessing of God to other people. Through the words and actions of the priests, people came to know God, came to learn about God, and were blessed by God. As we consider the responsibilities that the priests had for Israel and how the priests of Israel were a foreshadowing of the priesthood of all believers that we all share, 
As we look at their responsibilities, they point to the responsibilities that we have as priests in the world. And one of those responsibilities, one of those great privileges that we have, is that we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to extend the blessings of God to others. In Israel, one of the famous blessings that the priests would give to people uh, was called Aaron's Blessing. And we often use it as a benediction as we leave our worship service. I would encourage you to turn with me to Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to read through uh, this blessing uh, that the priests of Israel were called to extend and to give to the people of Israel. Numbers chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 22 through 27. The word says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The priests in Israel were anointed by the Spirit of God to be those who extended the blessing of God to the Israelites. God used the priests to be a channel of his blessings to the people of Israel. And the main blessing that they used was this blessing, which was a word of peace, that the people of Israel would experience peace. And then they say this amazing thing in verse 27. So, th- so in doing this, as they bless the Israelites, they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. What does this mean, that God will put his name on them? It means they will become God's people. They will receive his name. They will become a chosen and saved people through the blessing of peace that the priests give to them. As we are called to be priests, called to enter into the lives of our neighbors and co-workers, we are given the privilege of being channels of God's blessing. And I do not mean this in some vague way, but in a very real way. As we enter into these relationships, relying on the Spirit of God, as we enter into them in faith, the power of God is in us, bringing peace to people's lives and bringing about the possibility of God's salvation in their lives. I admit freely that I I don't fully understand what Jesus means when he says we are to go into people's lives and say peace to you or peace to this house. But at the very least, I was challenged this week, and I think that we here at Ebenezer need to be challenged to consider, to consider the power that God has given to us by his Spirit to speak words of peace into people's lives that will have a real effect on them if they are open, if they are a person of peace and are willing to receive it. Like the words of blessing that Aaron said over the people, our words of peace will point them to the God of peace, who is the one who can bring salvation to them, the one who can put his name on them. We enter into the lives of others with a message of peace. And isn't this a message that so many people need to hear? To hear that peace is possible. Our neighbors and our co-workers are hurting. Their lives seem out of control. They need to hear a message of peace. They need to be reminded that peace is possible. Now, I'm not suggesting this week that you walk into your boss's office and stand in front of his desk and put your hand over him and recite Numbers chapter 6, verses 23 through 25. Uh, We'd like for you to keep your jobs. But there may be times when that would be appropriate. 
what I want to suggest to you is that we should enter into the lives of other people ready and willing to understand that God has given us power by his spirit to speak words of people, peace into people's lives that will have real and tangible effect if that person is willing and ready to receive them. If God has prepared them to hear it, then they will receive it and, have the op- and we will have then the opportunity to be used by God in that way as channels of his blessing. Our words of peace must also be accompanied with actions that reflect that peace. We must be a peaceful people. As the 72 were called to go into these different homes, they were called to speak words of peace and to also act like people of peace. Turn back to Luke chapter 10. In verse verse 7, Jesus says, whatever house you go into, if a, uh, if you extend them their peace and they receive it. Jesus says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. The 72 were called to go into these homes and be a people of peace, to be content with what was given to them. They weren't supposed to be going around looking for the next big thing, to be looking for some better accommodations in the house down the street. They weren't looking to climb any ladders in the town, but instead to be a people of peace, to be content with what they've been given and not scrambling about seeking out something better. If our words of peace are going to be heard, then they must be accompanied with actions of peace. We must be a people of peace, a people like Jesus. And this is where those spiritual disciplines that we talked about for the last uh, six or seven weeks are so important. These practices that God uses to shape us and form us into becoming like Christ, to be a person of contentment and peace like Jesus was. Our own lives need to match this message that we proclaim. As we're called to proclaim a message of peace to others, to tell others that peace is available to them in Christ, we need to display that peace and contentment in our own life as well. So this reminds us of that first priority that we have to attend to our own relationship with God, uh, to be sure that we are paying attention to that, that we are being shaped and formed into the person of peace that God wants us to be. We enter into the lives of others with a message of peace, a message that is spoken in words and also displayed in our actions. And then what I want you to notice is that Jesus is so very realistic in this passage. He recognizes that some will receive and some will reject this message. This is something that we should simply accept. Expect. Accept and expect, I guess. There will be some who hear the message of peace that God gives through us, and they will be ready for it. They will be even searching for it, and they will receive it. But others will hear it, immediately reject it, and Jesus says, move on. Don't worry about it. Your peace will return to you. What does that mean? I think it means that simply because one person rejects uh, your words of peace, it doesn't mean that you have failed or that in some way God's peace is not with you. The message of peace is still yours, and it will be received by those who are ready. The second part of the message that we are called to give is the message that the kingdom of God is near. Verses 8 through 11. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. What is the kingdom of God? It's a good question. Jesus doesn't give us very many clear answers about the kingdom of God. He speaks about the kingdom of God a lot in parables. 
want us to think a little bit about what the kingdom of God might mean in a way that we can understand it today, and to simply think about what a kingdom is and what makes up a kingdom. If we think about kingdoms in a kingdom, every kingdom you have to have a king, right? Without a kingdom, uh, without a king, there is no kingdom. And secondly, you have to have citizens, uh, people who belong to that kingdom, who either by choice or by force are subject to that king. So you have a king and you have people. In order to be a kingdom, there must also be a place, uh, a dominion of some kind, a, a realm where that kingdom extends, where the rule of that king extends. And finally, every kingdom also has a law or a rule. In other words, what the king says. Those are four elements of any kingdom. Now, kingdoms certainly would have other things, but if a kingdom doesn't have, or if something doesn't have those four things, it isn't a kingdom. A king, a people, a place, and a law. Spiritually, all of us, whether we admit it or not, whether we know it or not, all of us are citizens of one kingdom or another. We are either citizens of the kingdom of the world or citizens of the kingdom of God. Turn with me to one of Paul's letters, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Paul here speaks about our transition, our conversion from one kingdom into another. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, Paul says, As for you, you were once dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated with him with us in his heavenly realms, the place of his kingdom, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Paul says very similar things. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Paul says this even more clearly. Paul says this, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul and his letters say that all of us were at one point citizens of the kingdom of the world, citizens in the dominion of darkness, but through God's great love for us, we have received an invitation, an invitation to come into a different kingdom, to submit to a different ruler, and to live under a different law. Received an invitation to come under the authority of Christ, under his reign, to live in his world, in his reality, under his law. Who is the king of the kingdom of God? It is Jesus. He is the king. And we who have submitted to him are his citizens. And where? Where is the dominion of the kingdom of God? The location, the dominion, the place of the kingdom of God is any and every place on earth where Jesus is submitted to as king. This is already a reality in all of its fullness in heaven. And now on earth, there are places where the kingdom of God is a reality already. In every place that has submitted to him as king. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray in 
the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom is already a reality in all of its fullness in the heavenly places, and we pray that in our lives, in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our neighborhood, in our city, and in our world, that his kingdom, where what he wants to be done, is done. And we ask that that would happen more and more and more in our life, in our home, in our church, in our city, in our world, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Luke 10, Jesus says to his disciples to enter into these towns and tell them that the kingdom of God is near. To tell them that now they are invited to leave the way of the world, the way of the world that is characterized by sickness and by division, by war and by death, and to come out from under that rule and to come into the kingdom of God, under the rule and reign of God, a kingdom that is characterized by peace and justice and life and hope. It is available to all those. It is near, the disciples are to say. We are to say. It is near. You are invited to come into it. This is what we are called to proclaim to others, called to tell others that their lives do not need to be characterized by the sickness and division and isolation and death of our world, but another reality is available to them if they will submit to God's rule in their lives and become obedient to him. These verbal words, the kingdom of God is near, this invitation to come and submit to a different ruler, those words also need to be accompanied with action that demonstrates what the kingdom of God is like. And in Luke chapter 10, the specific example that Jesus uses is that they are to demonstrate the kingdom of God by healing the sick. There are other ways to demonstrate the kingdom of God mentioned throughout the scriptures, but in this one, Jesus says you are to demonstrate the kingdom of God by healing the sick. This is a growing edge for us as a church. To have the faith that we can enter into people's lives to get to know their hurt, their suffering, their pain, their physical sickness, and to be willing to pray for them and to believe that through our prayers that they would receive healing and experience the nearness of the kingdom of God in their life. Maybe from physical illness, illness, maybe from depression, maybe from isolation, maybe from loneliness. This text reminds us of the calling that we have been given by God to enter into the lives of others and to pray that God would come into their lives and bring healing, that his blessing would come, that they would experience the nearness of the kingdom of God. And so we should admit and confess today um, our unwillingness to do this because of our fear, perhaps, that we would fail or simply because we don't believe that it's true. We believe, God, we believe in you, but please help our unbelief in this area. We believe that we can pray that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in our life, in, in their lives, these people, the lives that we encounter. To do this is a great step of faith for many of us. But this is the message that we're called to, the message that the kingdom of God is near, that the good rule of God, the rule that brings peace and life through faith in the crucified and risen Jesus is a message that we are called to give through our words and through our actions. This is one thing that we can, as North American believers, I think need to pay attention to and learn from uh, believers from other parts of the world. This is one of the great blessings that I have in my experience of working with pastors in India where they were able to say, our proclamation of the gospel has been accompanied by people being raised from the dead, 
people being freed from demonic uh, possession, people being freed from sickness, people being freed, people being healed. It's something that we can learn as we pay attention and listen to the stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. The kingdom of God is near. This is the message that we go with, and Jesus once again acknowledges that this message will be rejected by others, but it's our calling to proclaim it and to demonstrate it. So I want to finish today by talking about one practical way that the message of our mission could be given to people who live here in our city. For this last week, the Vancouver Sun has run a series of articles discussing the issues of isolation and fragmentation from one another that people experience here in our city. There was an extensive survey done by the Vancouver Foundation that came up with some very disappointing results about our city and about the ways that people feel a lack of social cohesion with one another, a lack of of, uh, relationship with their neighbors, and they feel very isolated. I'm sure you can find these articles on the website. I've also cut them out. You're welcome to come to my office and get them if you'd like to read them. This is a disappointing reality uh, of, of our city. And it's a reality that needs a message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near, that the kingdom of God is available. According to this survey, uh, you can safely assume that most of the people that you encounter in your daily life, most of the people that you encounter in your daily life sense a lack of connection with their neighbors and that they desire to have more, or at least they say that they desire to have more. Here is an opportunity for enter into a place of need in our city, a place where there is a lack of peace, a place where the kingdom of darkness really has a hold on people and extend to those people who are experiencing isolation and loneliness, people who have no connections uh, to their neighbors. Here is a place where we can extend and display the message of peace and the message that the kingdom of God is near. Here is an opportunity to be a people of hospitality who are willing to open our homes or even to be so bold as to knock on the door of another to introduce ourselves with the knowledge that we have been called priests of God, people who have been anointed, empowered with God's Spirit to extend words and actions of peace and blessing that will have real effect on the lives who are willing to receive it. So who is the person of peace in your life? Who is a person near you, a neighbor, a co-worker, who may be open to receiving a message of peace and a message that the kingdom of God is near?